so thankful today that uh, when you sent Christ into this world, he was born in that manger, but as he grew and fulfilled his purpose, he became the lion of that tribe of Judah who would suffer for our sins and give us the victory. How thankful we are today that we can have that victory. We invite you now to speak to our hearts. We desire to hear from your word. Uh, would you teach us what you want to teach us? Help us to see what you want us to see and help us to respond as your spirit calls us to respond. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2 with me, please, this morning. Matthew chapter 2. I'm reminded on Sundays like this, and, and there are a couple of these, and when you'll just probably have the same feel next week, right after a big holiday, and a lot of people are out and here, there, and yonder. It, it reminds me of the old country preacher who who preached uh, around, you know, right after Christmas back on the farm. This is way back in the days when they didn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, uh, activities taking place. And uh, it was a real cold, cold Christmas time, Christmas season, unlike uh, ours. I practically prefer, I think that Christmas in heaven is going to be about this temp that it is here uh, today. It's just my personal opinion. But uh, uh, it was really, really cold, and, and there just weren't a lot of people. They weren't able to get out. It was snow, ice, everything. They couldn't get out. One farmer showed up at the service that morning. And the pastor told him, said, well, you know, I don't know if we ought to have the service or not. And the old farmer said, well, preacher, the way it is that I do it on my farm is even if one cow shows up, I feed the cow. The pastor said, yeah, that's a good point. So the old man sat down, the pastor stood up, and he preached like he would. If there were a thousand people in that little church, he preached his heart out. He preached for an hour. He went on, on, and on, and he finished, and he told the farmer, he said, well, what would you think? The farmer said, well, now, pastor, pastor, preacher, if only one of my cows shows up, I don't give them all the food at once. <laughs> so there's more than one of you here today. Uh, so we'll see how much of the food we dish out all at once. Matthew chapter 2, again, we, we've made it through Christmas 2021 is done or it's almost done. You may have one or two more gatherings and take heart though, in 364 days, you can do it all over again. In fact, you don't have to wait that long. I made a run to Walmart because I needed to test my sanctification for the week and, uh, it wasn't a Christmas run. I know better than that. Uh, you know, sometimes if you know you're going to sin, you just don't go do it, right? And so I knew if it was a Christmas, it was, it was for some other reason. And it was kind of late at about 10 o'clock one day uh, this week that I ran there to grab something. And, and as I walked in, I noticed, I mean, the, the, the Christmas candy aisles, I mean, they were ravaged. They were, they, they were nothing there. Of course, again, I wasn't going, but I just noticed, you know, nothing there. And, uh, but then I, I, as I cut through a shortcut, I noticed as I walked by, something caught my attention. And I thought, that is not right. And I backed up to look at it. It was Cadbury Easter eggs. <laughs> Jesus ain't even born yet. <laughs> and Walmart's already wanting to cash in on his death, burial, resurrection. So I picked up the pack of Cadbury <laughs> Easter eggs and... <laughs> celebrated Easter on Christmas. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Let, let's think about this topic today. The title of the message this morning, 
Twas the days after Christmas. Have you ever stopped to think about what it was like for Mary and Joseph during the days immediately following Christmas? Neither Mary nor Joseph had any parental experience. And Jesus was just like every other child in this sense. He did not come with an instruction manual. Imagine the burden they felt as they pondered the reality that began to settle in their hearts. They have a child to raise, and it's not just any child. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God for whom they are responsible. And so an event takes place, as you can imagine the burden upon their hearts, an event takes place in the days right after that first Christmas that even though it happened a couple of thousand years ago, it still speaks into our lives today. So again, give you the setting for that. It, it should be fairly familiar to you. In fact, we always include it with the Christmas narrative, even though this event took place a little while after the birth of Jesus. It was the visit of the wise men, the visit of the magi, and the dreams that were associated with that, and Joseph's response to that. Now, we always have the wise men pictured in our nativity scenes, and, and we do that because they occupy such an important role when we tell the Christmas narrative we want to be sure that we include them but in actuality they were not at the manger they came later scholars are divided about how late it was but we know it was later than the manger because the scripture says as we'll see in a moment that they came to a house and there they saw not the infant but the child at the end of the day it really doesn't matter exactly when they got there nor does it really matter how many of them there were. There could have been three. There could have been 3,000. We don't know. And it really doesn't change the truth of the scripture at all. But what happens in Matthew chapter 2 shows us something about the plan of God. God had planned to bring his son into the world. The book of Galatians tells us when the time was right, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And that was his purpose. But something happened shortly after his birth that seemed like that purpose was about to be short-lived and never fulfilled. But as we'll see this morning, God's plan will continue. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written, it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And we usually stop there, but that's not the end of the story of the Magi. Verse 13 says that when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said to Joseph, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for for the child to destroy him. And he, that being Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. I think Joseph's getting tired of dreams, don't you? And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he could be called, that is, Jesus could be called a Nazarene. Let me, from this text, draw out to you three truths about God's plan that unfolded in these days right after Christmas because they still speak to us all these years later. The three statements I'll make this morning are this. First, God's plan always involves his presence. 
God's plan always involves his presence. You can see how the presence of God was with this new family of three. You can see how his presence gave them the protection that they needed for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus at every single turn as as he got them out of town. He got them away from King Herod who was plotting their destruction. There are parts of Matthew chapter 2 that we omit from our Christmas celebration and understandably so. I mean a, a small family of three running for their lives because an unstable king issues an edict to kill every infant and toddler in the land doesn't contribute to the good vibes of Christmas does it? So it makes sense that that we don't really include that in our nativity scenes or in our nativity plays or our Christmas thinking. But the reality is that Mary and Joseph and Jesus needed God's presence and they needed that presence to protect them because Herod was viciously insane. Caesar Augustus, who was the head honcho of Rome, Caesar Augustus was quoted as saying that it was better to be a pig of Herod's than a son of Herod's because the pigs had laws that protected them, but Herod's sons did not. In fact, Herod has killed two of his own sons because he felt threatened by them. He killed one of his ten wives who was said to be his favorite wife. I shudder to think what he did to the least favorite of the ten. And then he goes on uh, this little spree to where he he kills uh, many of his in-laws his, some of his wives, uh, one of their uncle, the wife's uncles, he kills. He kills his mother-in-law. No jokes there by anyone at all. Uh, he kills his brother-in-law. No jokes as well. It's just, you know, not, save them for later. Text them to your deacon, okay? And you'll work that out. I mean, this is a guy who is in, killing, slaughtering babies. It's nothing to him. They need the presence of God to provide them with this protection. You see, God is our ultimate security. The presence of God in our lives is our ultimate security. People can attack us. Words can hurt us. Businesses can steal from us. Disease can ravage our bodies. Despite all of that, the truth of the matter, if you belong to Jesus Christ, is that God's presence is with you. And that means that if God is for us, who can be against us? Like Paul, we can be sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor things present, present things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about this. What most people fear the most in life is death. Now think about that from your perspective. If you're a follower of Jesus and his presence is in your life, For the believer, death is nothing but a stepping stool. 
upon which you place your feet for a brief fleeting moment that enables you to enter the very presence of God for eternity. The safest place to be is where God's will leads you. The wise men followed a star, and it led them to the Christ child. Joseph followed the angel's instructions, and he escaped to Egypt. But I want you to understand something in me saying that God's plan always involves his presence. Following God doesn't guarantee the absence of problems, but it does guarantee the abundance of his presence. Y'all missed the shot. It was right there. I left it hanging for you. So let's, too much eggnog maybe for you. So let's think of that again. Following God does not guarantee the absence of problems, but it does guarantee an abundance of God's presence. Think about that. There you go. Better next time. Maybe next Sunday I'll have a cheat sheet for you and I'll let you know exactly when, all right? It doesn't mean that everything is going to be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that, that getting to and remaining in the center of God's will will not involve some valleys. It doesn't mean that at all. Following God does not exempt us from struggles, but we are promised God's presence as we endure those struggles. Our ultimate security, our ultimate protection is centered around the presence of God in our lives, our relationship with a God who will never leave us or forsake us because we are his children and he is a perfect father who loves us. God's plan always involves his presence. Statement number two is that God's plan always includes his provision. It certainly involves his presence and it includes his provision. You see, God God is not only your creator, God is also your sustainer. Where God guides, God will provide. When Moses complained that he couldn't adequately speak to deliver God's people from slavery, God gave him Aaron who would speak for him. When the people of God faced a sea in front of them and an Egyptian army behind them, God parted the waters so that they could escape. When Elijah the prophet was hungry during a famine, God provided ravens to deliver his food to him, the first door dash in the history of the world. When Israel was fearful and intimidated by a giant of a man, Goliath, God gave them a shepherd boy with a sling, some rocks, and a pretty good arm and aim. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under that law. God is not just a creator, God is a sustainer. Think about this family. They are a poor family. When they go to dedicate Jesus at the temple, they offered a sacrifice that was reserved for the poorest of families. 
They did not have many assets to their name. Their first Nazareth bank account was low. Joseph was a carpenter before HGTV and DIY networks made the occupation glamorous and well-paying. Mary was a stay-at-home mom for this baby. How can this family fund an international trip to Egypt? How can they afford to get from where they are to where they need to be to escape Herod? Where God guides, God provides. You see, God sent those magi to worship Jesus. But God also sent them with some gifts to present to them. Yes, those gifts pointed to the roles that Jesus would fulfill. The gold was for a king, the frankincense for a priest, the myrrh for a prophet. Jesus is our king. He's our great priest. He is our high priest. He's a prophet. I get that. But these gifts were also practical. They can fund the trip for this family to get to Egypt. You see, if God calls you to a task, God will give you the resources to accomplish that task. We need to learn from Joseph's example. Joseph, when God said, Joseph, let's do this, Joseph obeyed. Joseph didn't waste any time when God gave him instructions. He didn't wait until he had it figured out. He didn't ask God if there was a plan B to to take care of this. He packed his suitcases that night, and they they headed out to Egypt. He didn't want to wait to to figure it all out. He simply obeyed God. Let us learn from that. When God calls you to do something, your task is to obey, because God will make a way where there's Seems to be no way because he works in ways that we cannot see and he will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side and with love and strength with each new day, God will make a way. He will make a way. It was the days after Christmas that we learned about the plan of God. That it always involves his presence. It always includes his provision. Number three, God's plan always accomplishes his purpose. Always. God's ways are not our ways. Have you figured that out yet? Have you figured out yet that God's smarter than you? If you haven't figured that out, let me encourage you. Go ahead and accept it as reality. It'll make life... mm, a little bit less tumultuous if you'll just acknowledge the fact that God's ways are greater than yours and his plan is better than yours. Think of how bizarre God's plan might have seemed to Mary and Joseph. You see how Joseph each so many times was approached by an angel and warned by God in a dream and the reason that there's that, that God just doesn't do that nearly really. God just doesn't, you know, it's not like God does that once a week with everybody in the Bible. I mean, God sends his angels, and then sometimes God himself speaks directly through the dream because if he doesn't do it that way, I don't know that Joseph's going to believe all this. 
because this plan is so, so confusing and this plan makes no sense on the outside looking in. Mary was on the brink of giving birth when God moved them 70 miles from their hometown of Nazareth so that she could deliver a baby in an obscure village with a barn serving as the delivery ward and a feeding trough serving as his bassinet. That's bizarre. Or you think about the fact that God sent, of all people, shepherds to show up late at night, which every new parent knows you love company late at night. And God sent these shepherds to show up late at night for a visit, and he later sent these weird dignitaries from a far-off land to give these gifts that are bizarre to give to a child. Then God moved this family under the the cover of darkness to Egypt, a, a pagan nation, And later God's going to send them back to another obscure village, a a little village called Nazareth, which was known for nothing at all. And that's where Jesus is going to grow up. God did all of this to fulfill his plan and his purpose for this family. Each of these moves of God was designed to fulfill ancient prophecy. That's why you see several times in chapter 2 that things happen so that these verses could be fulfilled. They went to Bethlehem so that God's word spoken through the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 could be fulfilled. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This family went to Egypt so that the prophecy of God in Hosea 11 and 1 could be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I call my son. Jesus spent time in Nazareth. He came to be known as Jesus the Nazarene so that the branch that God spoke of in Isaiah 11 and 1, that that prophecy could be fulfilled. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Scholars, catch this, scholars have identified over 300 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in one man, that were fulfilled in the birth, the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Mathematicians and statisticians calculate that the probability of one person fulfilling so many prophecies as one chance out of 10 to the 157th power, that is a lot of zeros that one man would accomplish so much God had a plan God had a purpose and God fulfilled it this speaks to us today it teaches us it reminds us that God is in charge even when it seems that he's not 
It reminds us that God is in charge of your life when your life seems to be spiraling out of control. It shows us that God is in control even when the land in which we live doesn't seem to have anyone who's in control. It teaches us that God is in charge and God can take the most mighty, powerful rulers of the world, the Herods and his offspring and the, the kings who have come later and the presidents who sit in a White House throughout the course of our nation's history. God can take those powerful men and women and move them around like chess pieces to accomplish his purpose. Because the plan of God will always accomplish his purpose. Everything that happened in the Christmas narrative was planned out by God. And now, looking back, you can see his hand every step of the way. This is the same God that we worship and follow. He is still in charge. He still has a purpose and a plan for his people. So the days after Christmas, after the first Christmas, teach us much about our God. This is a God worth following. So I ask you this morning very simply, do you need his presence in your life? He stands at the door ready to enter and have that fellowship with you to where he brings his presence into your life. Do you need to trust his provision for your life? Are you trying to figure it all out before you follow him? Are you saying to God, God, well, once I understand this, then I will. If you're saying in your life anything along the lines, God, once this happens, then I will follow you. That's not trusting his provision. Are you trusting his provision in your life today? Are you willing to simply trust and obey? You may not be able to see the purpose of God being accomplished in your life at this moment. Maybe your prayer needs to be that of the disciples. Lord, increase my faith. As great as you may think your plan to be, you can be assured that God's plan for you is greater than you can imagine. I would encourage you today to let go of your plan and grab a hold of his because his plan is full of his presence, his provision, and he will use you to accomplish his purpose. Would you bow with me this morning? As we bow in just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, this will be our time of commitment. If there's a commitment, a step you need to take, if one of these questions we've asked this morning, the Holy Spirit has used that to pierce your heart, this is your opportunity to respond to that. You can respond to that right where you are. You can respond to that in this altar. You can respond to that in however God is calling you to do so. My only ask of you today will be to put your yes on the table. You don't get to decide what's on that table. You don't get to decide what kind of table it is. What it is that God may or may not have for you and his purpose in your life, your responsibility is to simply say yes. And I invite you to do so this morning. Father God, I'm thankful that your plan is greater than ours. That your plan for us will accomplish much.
So, Father, help us to surrender ourselves to you today, to embrace your presence in our lives. Help us to trust that you will give us provision. And help us trust that you're accomplishing your plan. Whatever you're placing upon our hearts today, may we surrender to you. In Jesus' good name, amen.